I'm so excited to be here today uh, to, to preach and to bring God's word to people. Um, you know, for the last two years, my wife and I haven't really been attending as often. Uh, we were waiting to, to come until we were vaccinated, and then uh, we went ahead and we, we had a, a third kid here. Uh, this is my beautiful family. Uh, and, and so we've been kind of MIA for a little bit. Added the fact that my son started preschool, so he brings home every germ known to man. Uh, so we've been battling colds and, and all this other stuff. So I haven't really been around as, as much the last two years. And uh, it's so nice to be here today to see everyone. Uh, you know, it, it, it's cool is, you know, for adults, you know, two years is nothing. We all just look a little bit more tired, probably a little bit worse, right? I'll speak for myself, right? And then I'm not in the prime of my life anymore. Uh, but the kids, man, they grow so fast. They're huge. And you just seeing these kids, especially some of the boys, and, and last time I talked to them, they had these tiny, squeaky little voices, and now they, like, tower over me, and they have these big, like, monotone voice. It's just so much change has happened, and um, new faces and, and some old faces that we're missing, and it's just so nice to be here with our church family and getting to bring the word of the Lord. Um, but before I do that, I do have to confess something, and uh, I have to confess, uh, one, of, one of the big vices in my life, uh, you know, we all have these things that we, we do and struggle with. Um, some of our vices are, you know, those late night snacks. You know, that's, that's me. I, I do that. I'm a late night snacker. I see some hands going up, right? Uh, we have some, some people with lead feet in here, Pastor Brad especially, right? If you see a black Jeep on the highway, just get over. Just, just save him the stress. You don't want to be part of a sermon message. You know, and, and my big vice, if, if we're being honest, is I absolutely love hearing people say really, really dumb things. I love it. I eat it up. I, nothing will make me stop and just real quick, like hearing someone say something dumb. And I'm just going to be honest. There is nothing dumber than someone could possibly say than to start a sentence like this. When I have children, I will never... Whatever, right? Or my kids will never grow up to X, Y, Z, right? I just want you to know, if, you're, if you don't have kids yet, when the rest of us hear you say that, we all laugh inside to ourselves. We secretly judge you. Uh, and, and I just want to just, uh, Jesse, can you go back and show, like, my wonderful family here? Uh, this is my wife, Rachel. And as you see, we're kind of in the thick of it. My son's four. Uh, my middle daughter, Hazel's two. And, and we have the newborn here. She's about four months old. And I swore there were so many things I was never going to do until I learned that one episode of Paw Patrol lasts 30 minutes. And Lord, I can get so much done in that 30 minutes if I just put my kids in front of the TV. And I swore my kids would be the type to go to bed on their own and stay asleep. But I'm going to tell you, that one wakes up, that one wakes up, and that one definitely wakes up in the middle of the night. And I am so tired. Oh, my goodness. People who don't have children have no idea the changes that are going to come to their lives right? I never thought I'd be the person in the middle of the night, I sleep on my daughter's floor half the time, and she reaches her hand through her crib, and she holds my one finger, and I sleep like this, honestly, a good two, three days out of the week, right? But if you don't have kids, you have no idea the changes that are coming to your life. There's no way for you to know, because it's outside of anything you've ever experienced in your life, Okay? Likewise, when we are pivoting into this, this new season, the season of Advent, the coming of Jesus, we're going to learn today about Mary, who received the message that Jesus was coming. And that message was so far larger and greater and bigger than anything that she could possibly imagine. 
because she had yet to experience what it really meant to be part of the kingdom of God. So if we can turn in our Bibles, we are going to be hiding out in, in Luke chapter 1 for a little bit. I apologize, the font is really small in here. Not to make myself seem like an old person, but it seemed much bigger on my, on my computer. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and read it if we can follow along. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, for she, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. And the angel left her. And this is how Jesus, we're going to switch over to Matthew here. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will, she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until, until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So I know that was a lot there. But what's really important to note is this is not the story of Mary and Joseph. Just like all those previous messages that we heard were not the story of Abraham or of David. They weren't the story of Moses. They weren't the story of the prophets. The ultimate story is God bringing reconciliation to his people through his son Jesus. And so what the angel was saying was not just that you are going to give birth, but we are going to introduce the idea of the kingdom of God. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we have to understand that the kingdom of God is the reconciliation of mankind to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is what was being announced. You see, when God created man, he created Adam and Eve, and they lived in the Garden of Eden, and they lived in paradise. We all know the story here, most of us do, where Adam and Eve, they, they, they sin, and it breaks that bond between man and God. And so they're kicked out of the garden. And from that time on out, man continued to try to find ways to bring back that connection with God. And God, at one point, he establishes his people with Abraham. We cover, we cover the story towards the beginning of this uh, sermon series. He, he starts the country of uh, Israel. And what happens is, is this country, that these people were supposed to be a light to the rest of the world, 
But like all of us, they were full of sin, and so they failed. And they failed spectacularly. You look at the, the, the names of the Bible, you look at Abraham. Abraham was a coward and a liar. You look at Moses. Moses was a murderer, and he doubted God constantly. The first high priest we ever had, Aaron. Aaron had just got done building a golden calf to worship, and then God said, hey, we're going to make you a priest of this country. You look at David. David was a rapist and a murderer, and all these things happened because of sin and because sin separated the people from God. And so God said, enough is enough. I'm going to send my son Jesus to bring the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, like I said, is a huge, huge idea. Right? If we're telling the story of the Bible, you know, we're, we're kind of here, the death and resurrection of Jesus is here, and we're just kind of starting this little crescendo, right? This little motion upward. And Jesus talked about the kingdom 124 times, and there's many facets to it, there's many parts of it, um, but they only gave me about 20 minutes to speak, and I'm going to respect that unless anyone wants to be here for a couple hours. No takers. Okay, good deal. I wasn't ready for that anyways. So, so here's what we're going to talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God, and that's God's reign over our lives. Jesse, you want to hit the next slide? So specifically, we're going to look at, at the fact that being part of the kingdom of God is giving Jesus complete dominion or control over your life. I, I originally wanted dominion there. You can go back. Pastor Brad, Brad said I had to put control, so I settled and I just put it in parentheses. You can choose whichever word you want to use there. All right. But ultimately, Jesus is calling us to give him complete and total control over our lives. And this is one of those, those facts that sometimes we sneak in at the end of sermons. Uh, but we're just going to front load this and we're just going to put it out there, right? So, so typically how, how this works is if you've been at church a while, we preach a really good message, a really charismatic message. Everyone's happy. We feel good. And at the end we say, now who wants to follow Jesus? And we have people raise their hand and we say a prayer. And that's all well and good. But ultimately Jesus wants complete and total control over your lives. And it can feel a little stifling, right? We, we like who we are. We like the person that we've, we've came out to be. Or, or maybe we don't, but we love the idea of being in control. It's the reason why when I drive anywhere, I don't let my wife drive. Uh, I drive. And it's not because she's a terrible driver, um, but it's because I have control issues, right? This is something that I need to do. But when it comes to my life, quite frankly, I, I, I don't want to be in control, I see the mistakes that I make, I see my flaws, and I don't want to be the one in control. I want to turn that over to God. It's freeing to turn it over to God. What it reminds me of is, is as a child, we were lucky enough to go on vacations to Florida and Virginia Beach and all these places. And it was this wonderful moment would be really late and you would fall asleep. And maybe, you know, your parents would keep driving for a couple hours and you'd wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you were in Florida. That was the best feeling. The opposite is when you're the adult and you have to drive your kids and they're screaming in the back seat. Like, that's just miserable. My wife and I left Virginia Beach a couple summers ago and we thought we would drive through the night so the kids could sleep. And it was 11 hours of screaming and crying. And the kids were screaming and crying too. And it was miserable in every single way. But I'd much rather let God drive the bus. My, my, <laughs> I told my mom I wouldn't make fun of her, but I'm going to. Um, this is, not, this is just completely tangential, but thank God for modern seatbelt laws. I remember when we were younger, we took my dad's truck on vacation to the Smoky Mountains. I was probably four. My sister was maybe six. And we had the truck, and it was a small little truck. And they put a mattress in the bed of the truck, and they put the cab over it. And that is how I went down to the Smoky Mountains. My dad would feed us snacks by opening that back little sliding window. <laughs> like we were some kind of like parakeet and just sneak us food. 
And then if we misbehaved, my mom would slam on the brakes and we would go flying forward and she would teach us a life lesson. But ultimately, Jesus is calling not just part of us, but all of us. We're going to look at the story of the, the rich young ruler here. This is someone who had obeyed the laws of God and wanted to know more about what it meant to follow Jesus. And as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Look at him. Jesus showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And you will have treasures in heavens and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Notice what the calling was. Right? Jesus doesn't argue with the rich young ruler when he says that he's never committed murder, when he's never stolen, when he's, he's never committed adultery. Jesus doesn't argue those points. He says, okay, I'll give you that. You, you, you've been good. You followed the law of Moses. But that wasn't enough. What Jesus said is, I don't want those parts of you. I want all of you. And so the rich young ruler had this last little bit of himself that he did not want to turn over to God, and that was his wealth. He wanted to, to hold on to it, this, this last little bit of control that he wanted over in his life. He refused to turn over to Jesus, and so he went away sad because he had much property. And I think about this in our lives. What are those things in our lives that we're refusing to turn over to Jesus? Some of them could be small things. It could be um, the shows you watch, the music you listen to. Some of those could be good things, you know, on the surface. They could be your jobs, your family. They could be largely. Maybe, maybe you don't even know if you want to follow Jesus at all. And so now that's a big thing. You have to turn the, your whole life over to Jesus. But life with Jesus is full of love. It's full of compassion. It's full of mercy. And it's full of grace. But it does require all of you. You have, a, you have a, a full blank spot on, on your notes here, and I, I want you to write this whole phrase here. There's no such thing as casual Christianity. And I, I left the whole thing blank because I, I want that to be ingrained. There is no such thing about following Jesus a little bit. It has to be an all-consuming thing. You cannot casually follow Jesus because the demands he makes in your life is so great that he wants every last little bit of you. And see, what, what we've done is we've started to follow Jesus casually, which means that we view our salvation as a ticket to heaven and some kind of philosophy instead of realizing that God wants to be there in every moment in between. From the moment you decide to follow Jesus to the, to the end of your life, everywhere in between there, God is demanding every last bit of you. And, and what happens is, is we decide to follow Jesus. We understand that, you know, ultimately that leads to heaven. And so we strip Jesus away of his power. We strip Jesus away of his ability to lead our lives. We strip him away from the ability to work miracles in our lives. And so we're left with doubt. We're left with fear. We're left with concern. But I, I, I love 
this about Jesus is that he gives us room to have all those emotions and still follow him. The last time I had a chance to preach, it was right after uh, we went into lockdown. I, w- I was here. We were live streaming things. Uh, and I, sh- I shared a story from my life. Can you show my picture of my family here? Um, so I, I talked about this, you know, a, a long ways. But my middle daughter, Hazel, you know, with the little scrunched up hands being so cute, uh, she was born um, with, with a, a genetic defect um, that caused her um, developmental delays, that caused her to have epilepsy. And, and so we were just in the thick of that, and I was at wit's end. I didn't know what to do. I loved my family. All my life I wanted to grow up to be a husband and a dad and have this perfect, wonderful little family. And I saw how hard it was on my wife. I saw how hard it was on my daughter to go through all these tests to figure out what was wrong with her. And so it made me doubt my God. The last time I had a chance to preach, I was very honest and said that I didn't know if I wanted to follow a God that would put my family through that. It didn't feel like a God that I I wanted to be associated with or I wanted to be a part of. But what I love about God is he gives you those room for that doubt. And so what did I have to turn over? I had to turn my family over to God. And on the surface, it looks, it's a good thing, right? It's okay to love your family. It's a good thing you should love your family. But it was that last little piece of me that I was holding on so tight that I didn't want to give away because if I gave it away, who knows what would happen. And so I doubted and I prayed and ultimately, if something, I said, God, this is beyond me. I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to handle this. I'm going to turn this over to you. And it's in that moment that there's just peace. It's hard. Never promised that it would be easy, right? Jesus is very honest about that. But it's turned over to him, and I couldn't be happier. See, that, that's not my family. That's God's family. Those aren't my children. Those are God's children. And it's my job to steward them and to guide them, but ultimately it's Jesus who has control of everything. And and, and praise God, my my daughter, uh, you know, just through through the grace of God and just the incredible work of her neurologist has been seizure-free for about a year and a half now, Um, which was a huge milestone that, you know, we didn't know if we'd be able to get there. Um, But we have a God that gives us an opportunity to be lost and confused, to be hurt, to be broken. And he wants us there to turn those things over to him and let him drive the bus. One of the things we we struggle with is that the kingdom of God is supposed to be a tangible and relevant thing to our daily lives. It is not just an idea, it's not just a concept, it's something that we should be able to touch and to know. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? So when Jesus says, uh, after, his, after Jesus is baptized, he, he comes up from the water and he says, rejoice, the kingdom of God is here. Okay? Jesus was the, king of, uh, the, Jesus was the kingdom of God. And so what did it look like when, when Jesus was on earth? And I just think of, of the desperation of people to reach him. Jesus went around. He, he held the blind he, he healed the, the lepers, the sick, all of these things. And there's, there's many stories throughout the Bible. You know, I, I love the story of, of the four guys who have the, the paralyzed friend, and they hear Jesus is preaching in some house. And they go up on the rooftop, and they cut a hole in the ceiling, and they just drop their, their friend in because they knew what it meant to be part of the kingdom of God was to bring healing to him. 
And then there's the, there's the story of the woman who, who had, was bleeding her entire life and was ill her entire life. And Jesus is just walking through a crowd and she's just forcing her way through, forcing her way through just to touch his cloak so that maybe she could be healed. She was desperate to be part of the kingdom of God, to feel that reconciliation with Jesus. And we're supposed to live with that same tangible faith in Jesus, that same desperate reliance upon him. Let's look at Luke chapter 7 here. So it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, meaning she was a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him and at his feet worshiping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Then Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people, owe, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her, with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven a little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. I think this story perfectly encapsulates what's it, what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. This, this woman, I'm willing to bet, didn't grow up wanting to be a prostitute. Didn't want to, to grow up to be in the point of despair where that was the only way she'd be able to feed herself and, and possibly her family. Much like many of us, didn't grow up wanting to be an addict, a, a drunk, someone who struggles with alcohol, they didn't want to grow up and just be hurt all the time. They didn't want to grow up and be depressed or anxious. But here's this woman caught in this thing. And so she goes to probably the most socially awkward place for her to be, which is the house of a Pharisee. Right? The Pharisees view themselves as being way up here. This woman was, was way down here. But she said, you know what, that doesn't matter. None, none of that matters. I need to go and see my Jesus. I need to go and worship him. And so she goes, and she walks into Simon's house. And I just picture, you know, you guys ever see the old movies or um, TV shows where, like, someone walks in, and, like, there's a record scratch sound, and, like, everyone turns over? 100%, that's what happens. Like, Arr! and they all looked over, and they saw this woman who was caught in her sins. And she doesn't care what they think. She doesn't care what they have to say. All she cares was that at that moment, Jesus was there. And at that moment, she wanted to give Jesus control over her entire life. Give him the best offering that she could afford, that she could do. And she just worshiped God. That is what it looks like to give control of your life to Jesus. It's a great joy that we don't have to carry the baggage of a past life with us. We don't have to, to carry the baggage of the hurt and the shame. We can just come to Jesus and just worship at his feet and just love on Jesus and know that that's reciprocated. 
That is what the kingdom of God is about. That is what giving control to God is all about. He doesn't want to rule us like a tyrant. He doesn't want to rule over us and lord over us. But what he wants to do is love over us. And he wants us to guide. He wants to guide and direct our ways. And bring us closer to him. Closer to being whole. I think the other reason that we struggle with this idea of giving control to Jesus is we struggle with the idea of knowing our role in the kingdom. Mary and Joseph had a very specific role. Mary was to give birth to Jesus. Mary and Joseph were supposed to love and raise Jesus knowing that ultimately he would bring the kingdom to earth. That was their role. It was very, very specific. But ultimately, in our life, it's not quite as clear, right? I haven't been lucky enough to have an angel show up and say, hey, Chris, I want you to do X, Y, Z. And so ultimately, I have to trust God and know what the word of God is to be able to share the kingdom with other people. In Mark chapter 2, it says, But while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many people who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So if you're looking to figure out what your role is, and you've already been that woman who's worshiping at Jesus' feet, the next thing you have to do is to go and invite others into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not an exclusive group of people. It's an inclusive group of people. It's a group of people that is made up of of sinners, of drunkards, of, of adulterers, of murderers, of all these things. It's not pretty, but it's a group of people who know they need Jesus. And so you're called to invite people in. One of the saddest things I, I see happening in society is, is this idea of tribalism, right? This us versus them. And I want to encourage all of you guys to realize that there is no us versus them. That the them are still people who are in need of a savior, who are in need of a kingdom, who are in need of giving control to God. So maybe they don't agree with you politically. Maybe they don't look like you. Maybe they follow a different religion. Maybe it, it's your, one of your neighbors that, that cheats on his wife, just an awful person. There is no us versus them. The them is the sin. And it's our role to take this kingdom of God and introduce other people to it. It's a calling to be available for those who are hurt. You don't have to go very far to see someone hurting. It's your neighbor. It's your coworker. But do you love them enough to introduce them to the kingdom of God? To a God who loves them and just wants to make them whole. So leaving here today, I, I have three, three questions I, I want you to ask yourself. First is, does Jesus really have dominion or control over your life? Does he have control of your life? And, and if he doesn't, what's, what's stopping you from giving him control? And I want these to be honest answers. You don't have to answer to me or to Pastor Brad. You certainly don't have to answer to Gabe. But you do have to answer to Jesus. I love Gabe. I miss him. You do have to answer to Jesus. So what is stopping you from allowing Jesus to have control of your life? What are the things you're allowing 
What are you allowing to have control of your life instead of Jesus? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's some sin that you're holding on to that you're afraid to let go of. What is Jesus challenging you to turn over to him? Again, don't, you don't have to answer to me. And the last thing is if, if you've answered both of those and you're, you're all in, or even if you're only halfway in, do you see the world as a people in need of a Savior? Or do you see it as us versus them? Because there's never an us versus them. That, that's nowhere in the Bible. Do you see the lost, the hurt, as people to love and to people to show Jesus to? And so these are things that I want you guys to take with you. You know, read over this. Not just today on your way home. I want you to look over it tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and continue to ask yourselves these questions. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I've known Jesus my entire life, so that's like 29 years. 31. And this is all the further along I am. This is all the more polished that I get because it's a continual work. It's a continual process of asking these questions. What have I yet to turn over to Jesus? What's holding me back from turning things over to Jesus? And lastly, are these things preventing me then from inviting other people into the kingdom of God? So I'm excited for, for what this series is going to hold. The next couple months, we're going to be talking about the coming of Jesus. We're then going to talk about the life of Jesus, which is just so ingrained about what the kingdom of God is. And then ultimately, we're going to talk about on Easter, his, his death and resurrection and, and what that saving grace is. I'm so excited for, for where our church is, is going to go these next couple months. And so what I'm going to ask of everyone, we're going to go ahead and stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be released here. Father God, I just thank you so much just for this opportunity uh, to come and just be with our church family, just to love you in a community that supports each other. God, I just thank you for this announcement of your kingdom coming, for sending your son, for desiring control over our lives, not to lead us astray, but to lead us into closer relationship with you, into a life that is more loving and gracious and understanding than we even know, that we could possibly understand. God, be with us this week and put these questions on our hearts so that we can continue to see the things that you want control over in our lives. Be with us as, as we enter the season of Advent, this, this coming of Christmas. Be with those who, who maybe the season isn't as, as joyful as, as it is for others, people who are going through hurt or, or, or pain right now. God, I pray that you open our eyes to those people. In your name I pray.